Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, hello, how are you? It's Daryl and welcome to episode 25 of Cage Rage, a Nicolas Cage podcast. How are you? It feels like it's been a long time, but it's only been a week. It's a long week. A long week in these strange times that we live in. I hope they've not been strange for you. I hope it's all been somewhat normal, somewhat sensible. That your bin days haven't been disrupted. That your neighbour hasn't been taking out your bins and waking you up at one in the morning. Even if you forgot to do it. But you're not going to give them the opportunity to take that moral high ground. Because I won't. Got to stand firm. A man's bins are his own business. I've said this since day one. A man's bins are his own business. But I hope it's less chaotic and hectic for you. A decent week for your boy. A quick week. Uh, Just before things change a little bit more, as of Monday, your boy will be working from home. That's a little bit different, but long run should hopefully save me a bit of money. And I get to wake up a little bit later, get home immediately, because I'll already be there. And I can work in my underwear. So in some regards... I'm living the dream. Now, will the lack of human interaction in the office cripple me or hinder me? That remains to be seen. We'll keep you updated on that. But what I do have to keep me company is weekly instalments of movies. The greatest actor of our generation. And that's what we're all about here at Cage Rage and Nicolas Cage Podcast. We're going through the backlog, the cinematic history of Nicolas Cage, the single greatest actor of this generation And just rediscovering the films, the legacy, the methods, the madness of Nicolas Cage. And having, hopefully, a good time along on the way. Why are we doing this? Well, for me, it's the personal journey of going from film number one to film number however many films it's got by the time this thing comes to an end. And in the process, moving along on the journey to true Cage Nirvana. Sure, you could watch the films of any other actor, that's fine, but will you be spiritually fulfilled, mentally fulfilled in the same way as a Nicolas Cage movie? I don't think that you will. Okay, I don't, I personally don't think that you will. Um, Now this week, we are in the midst, as I said last week, of perhaps the four strongest releases in a row of Cage, the Fantastic Four, the can't think of another word for fantastic that goes with four. The super fantastic four. Last week was leaving Las Vegas. This week, the 1996 action flick, The Rock, starring, of course, Nicolas Cage and Sean Connery, directed by Michael Bay. And watching the film, you wouldn't know it was directed by Michael Bay. You wouldn't have a fucking clue. That is a slight lie. Of course, it's Michael fucking Bay. Produced by Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckenheimer. Written by David Weisberg and Douglas S. Cook. We have Nicolas Cage as a biochemist specialist working for the FBI. And Sean Connery as a convict that they need the specialities of. The particular specialities to break into Alcatraz prison in that there San Francisco. After it is taken over by a rogue group of bloody marines led by ed harris this film did pretty well 
I'm not going to lie, this did pretty well. Uh, now, it was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Sound Mixing at the 69th Nice Academy Awards and box office receipts of over $335 million against a production budget of $75 million, making it the fourth highest grossing film of 1996, just behind Mission Impossible, Twister and Independence Day but ultimately doing better than The Hunchback of Notre Dame, 101 Dalmatians, and and The Buster Nutty Professor. So, whap that in your fucking crack pipe and smoke it, 101 Dalmatians. Incredible. 75 million. 335 million made. You can see where the budget went on this. A lot of car chases. A lot of explosions. A lot of gunfire. Everything explodes in this film. It, there's so many explosions. This is the kind of film that it's such it's such your textbook popcorn film. It screams of you know that classic era of action films in the nineties where everything was over the top. The plot didn't have to be there because it didn't matter. Thankfully, this one does have a straightforward linear plot that you can attach to the film that it makes sense of the explosions to an extent. To an extent, I remember I watched this film maybe twenty years ago when I was in single-digit figures of age. had largely forgotten about it um, until then, except for the one bit in which Sean Connery says, um, So it's really fun to rediscover this. I really, really enjoyed this. I forgot how... what a weird and wonderfully chaotic film that this is, but I had a great time watching it, and I'm not going to lie, this is one of the first films on this journey. Um... In a very weirdly attached way to like Vampire's Kiss, where I've finished it and thought, you know what, I really want to watch this again. Uh, lots of lovely bits of information behind the scenes on this one as well. Now, Nicolas Cage plays Stanley Goodspeed, which is the greatest character name in cinema that you've ever heard of. I think it might be. Uh, Goodspeed, as I said, he is... An FBI special agent. He is a specialist in chemical weapons. Apparently at one point the role was offered to Arnold Schwarzenegger. But he actually turned it down because he didn't like the script. Um, So one, you smoke your hoagies and get that nub out of here. Schwarzenegger, if you know what's best for you. Two, after seeing the film, it would have been incredibly different if Schwarzenegger had been in Cage's shoes in this. Honestly, I couldn't imagine the film working as well as it does um, without Cage, strangely enough. But further into the research, thankfully, in the book National Treasure, Nicholas Cage by Linda Gibb, I bang on and on about this Cage-tastic scroll all the time. It's um, a wonderful read. We get a lot of information on The Rock as well. Here we get a disgruntled bunch of rogue former marines who take hostages in Alcatraz. They steal some nuclear weapons, some chemical gas. I think it's called VX-55 VX gas, which just eats you up and bubbles you away like a crispy cheese. It's uh, haunting, but delicious. Now, apparently, Bruckenheimer and Michael Bay both encouraged Cage to write his own dialogue for the film, to add his own dialogue to the film. And because of that, something that's you notice during the film, Cage isn't your archetypal 
action hero in this one. He doesn't go in all guns blazing. He isn't uh, sort of balls-to-the-wall action. This is very much played, um, I wouldn't say like a straight man, but as more as an everyman. He's had three weeks of sort of basic weapons training, finds himself in this ridiculous situation trying to uh, overcome special operatives alongside a 60-year-old ex-con, but it's played with that classic cage acting style and wit. Um, the sort of buddy cop chemistry of Cage and Connery is really fun to watch. Connery, of course, um, just eats up every scene that he's in. You can see he's having a lot of fun with it. Cage, incredible. Of course he is. It's you know Connery comes in a close second. Cage, of course, has the biggest hog in this film, not even up for contention. But again, it's 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 a nice take to see a uh, Cage not as the big built muscular action hero, um, not a build like you would have seen him with Kiss of Death or that Schwarzenegger build. He's more of a you know your every man's build. You can definitely relate to him. He experiments. He does something fresh with the action genre. Um, as again, as they touch upon in the book, and I quote, he created a character who refuses to swear because he wanted the challenge and humour that came from finding other words to show frustration and who cries when he sees someone die. He even vomits and says, my stomach's doing hula hoops around my ass, true story, just before he heads over to Alcatraz. Additionally, Cage wanted his character to be an anti-action hero of sorts. A man who knows how horrible chemical weapons can be and is terrified of the consequences if he fails his mission. The original scripted version of Stanley was a character who was thrilled to finally get an opportunity out in the field. But Cage thought it would be more interesting to make Stanley a man who loved his job so much that he would be reluctant to leave the lab. Cage believes that the constraints of the genre also helped him become a better actor. He's quoted as saying, The Rock really taught me a lot about the style of the genre and what needs have to be met for it to work. He said in the audio commentary for The Rock, it teaches you to be succinct, pristine in your choices, or you'll get cut out. And in this week, he takes some of that over to Conair, and of course to face off a little later on. It wouldn't be the last time we'd see him in action films, or films that certainly have action with them. You get a little bit of it in National Treasure, but more in the sense that he comes to these films in how best to play him sort of without swearing to make them a bit more relatable, a bit more family orientated. And you've got to love that cage ever the considerate statesman. You love to see it. You love to fucking see it. So with that said, we get into the nitty and indeed the gritty of the Iraq. So we start with Brigadier General Frank Hummel. He's at a graveyard, some of one of these fallen soldiers, he sort of said he's going to, you know, take care of things. Then he's leading a group of US Force Recon Marines, a rogue group, under the guise of a training exercise, storming a heavily guarded naval weapons depot. Together they steal the deadly gas weapons, which are these rockets armed with VX gas, which we are reliably told is quite a bad boy gas. Couldn't help but notice that a lot of the gas balls look a lot like um, like the washing up capsules that you get. Um, but this this isn't the kind of Tide Pod challenge that you want to be taking part in. Unless you want some mad likes on TikTok, it'll be the last video you ever post. But um, your legacy will be sealed, you fucking millennials. So I'm, I'm a millennial, so I can't really say that. But again, the guy's face is bubbling, looking really tasty. 
I'd pop him on a pizza base, if you know what I'm saying. We go over to the FBI office. We've got Cage firing toy dart guns with hog-raising accuracy. He's buying $600 Beatles LPs because they sound better, which means he's a man after my own heart. He's also a man of taste and culture. Stanley Goodspeed is the name. Again, incredible name that you could only get in an action film. Um, there is sort of more to the name as well, which they touch on. It's uh, sort of a latter-day translation of Godspeed, wishing luck on a voyage. Uh, his voyage, of course, to the heart of cinema goes all over the place, to the heart of hogs, to the heart of your wife. Then called in uh, him and the other guy that he works with. His name's not important. Little Hog. Don't have time to get into his hog. It would be a waste of time, if anything. They get called into their little operations chamber. They're fully suited up in their chemical attire. They get this crate that they've got to um, crack open. It's a special little crate. They've got this poisonous gas baby doll that then starts eating away at their suits. And there's a, a bomb in the baby and a, a lot going on. And look, 11 minutes in, this film moves really fucking fast. You know immediately... It's very kinetic, very energetic, it's fast thought moving, um, very rarely slows down this film. Um, so you, you know with so much fucking drama that this is peak Michael Bay. But Goodspeed, of course, he races to disfuse the baby bomb and contend with the baby gas growing his suit. He manages to save the day with time on the clock, though, because of course he does. He wasn't worried. I wasn't worried. If you see Cage on the case, he wouldn't be worried. Because why would you? But now we see him back home in his incredible uh, sort of top floor uh, apartment building. Got a lot of space. It Clearly like a musical collector of uh, instruments. Again, man of culture. He says he's a Beatle maniac. So he's probably spent a lot of his time collecting the paraphernalia and memorabilia. For some reason he's... Well, he's strumming a guitar here as well. For some reason he's doing it half naked. Now, I'm not complaining. Um, to be honest, it's I find being half-naked is one of the better ways to strum. If you catch my fucking drift. Then he finds out from his partner that she is also pregnant as well. His partner, Carla. Um, now, I don't know if this is the everyman stance. He's not immediately happy about it. Because he believes that the world is a very cruel place to bring a baby. But five seconds after finding out, he's very excited. So, you know, he's playing with a lot of layers here. A lot of depth. A lot of bits and pieces and nuances to this character, you know? But now 16 minutes in, you know, you've, you've barely had time to sit down, tuck into your popcorn, get your hog adjusted to a place where it's not uncomfortable for yourself. Now, Briggy Jen Jen Hummel and his cronies, they've seized control of Alcatraz Island, a.k.a. The Rock. Alcatraz is... Alcatraz is the rock, right? Uh, we've got 81 tourists as hostage. Although it must be noted here that Hummel, he's not your, not your clear-cut, uh, you know, open and close case bad guy. He's got some nuances to himself as well. He made sure this school trip uh, of kids that they tell their teacher they need to get off the island. Though if you're a teacher and suddenly you're on a school trip and the kid says, oh yeah, we need to go home. A strange man told me we need to leave the island. I feel like you'd have questions. Not that getting off the island wasn't the right thing to do, but I don't know. I feel like it would have been inspired a little bit more investigation. But the thing is, Hummel, 
is he a bad guy? Is he a straight-cut bad guy? He seems to have some kind of moral conscience. Did somebody say layers? But also, his lads, his uh, ragtag team, it is a veritable who's who, um, a big old where do I recognise that guy from feast, you know? So your boy left no The Rock unturned for you. And amongst many more, in this prime cut of Juicy Riblets, we've got David Morse uh, playing Major Tom Baxter. You may also recognise him as Brutus Hell from the Green Mile and Colonel Reed from the Hurt Locker. We've got William Forsyth as Ernest Paxton. He's also Avell in Raising Arizona. See, a little callback. And Manny Horvitz in Boardwalk Empire. Have John C. McGinley as Captain Hendricks. He was also Dr. Perry Cox in Scrubs. And in Wild Hogs as, and I quote, Gay Highway Patrolman, Tony Todd as Captain Darrow. He was the Candyman in Candyman, and also Candyman in the upcoming Candyman. And Bakeem Woodbine as Gunnery Sergeant Crisp. He played the Shocker in Spider-Man Homecoming, and Mike Filligan in the second season of Fargo, which I also highly recommend. So Hummel makes a call to the White House, as you do, because they have direct lines, and he demands that he and his men be paid $100 million from the US government, take it from a slush fund, which is basically where they keep all the money that they seek from uh, criminal enterprises and drug busts and that kind of thing, so it's kind of unaccounted for. They want the money because they want it to compensate the families of men who died under his watch um, and who weren't compensated, so... There is a sort of a moral point to lean on with his uh, sort of crusade against against the government. He's he's disgruntled. He's been betrayed by a system he's put his life into. By all accounts, he is an American hero, and now he just wants what he's owed, and that's justice for his men. So, again, not a clear and cut bad guy playing with the genre a little bit. You love to see it. So at the war table, where all the uh, the big wigs are discussing how to take him down. They realise that Hummel's got their bloody pants down. And he's one smart son of a bitch. So, the question is, when you've got a bad guy with a big hog, how do you counter that? You call in the biggest hog in the business. You call in Nicholas Hogswald Cage, the FBI's top chemical weapons specialist. That weapon, the Raging Hog. The second player on Team Rager is no other than Sean Connery, a.k.a. SAS Captain John Patrick Mason, a 60-year-old Scot who was imprisoned for 20 years without charge, and, importantly, the only man to ever escape Alcatraz. So basically, the FBI, they need his knowledge of Alcatraz to aid in their mission, because they can't go in directly, so they need to get under and in the inner workings of Alcatraz, he's the only man who knows how it works. But he's playing harder to get than trying to persuade Nicolas Cage to get a Twitter account. Mason here also looks like a longer-haired, greyer Charles Manson, but less culty, even though he does have a, quite a sex appeal and charisma to him. Grey Sean Connery, more like Sean Hoggery. So the little negotiating tactics with Mason don't go to immediately to plan. They send in good speed because reasons, so that the hogs can be head-to-head, tip-to-tip. Eventually, Goodspeed basically just gives him whatever he wants and then gets him on board, gets in his fancy suite at a hotel. Mason even manages to swing a professional stylist to cut off his locks, who's both camp and charming, 
which in my notes, uh, note to self, you have two seasons of Queer Eye to catch up on on Netflix. So I know what I'll be doing after I finish this recording. Um, So eventually Mason does escape from the hotel. After a sweet trim and a haircut and a suit, of course, he misses the feel of a suit. And what better way to throw a man off the roof of a hotel than being in a paid-for-by-the-state suit? He throws him off his hotel balcony. It doesn't kill him. He's got this uh, wire string he's pulled out from the shower. I don't know what purpose that has. Um, sort of tied him to his arm and to a chair. But he's still alive. just hurts his arm a little bit, so don't worry about him. Now, this leads to Goodspeed chasing him in hot pursuit. The score is actually really exciting, by the way. The... Um, if you're into like your music film tracks and want one that's a bit over the top, then the rock soundtrack is as good a place as any. Very exciting. There was a bit of it at the start of the chase scene where uh, Goodspeed is pursuing Mason through the hotel that it was very similar to um, the Pirates of the Caribbean theme, which kind of makes me wonder if they got some of the inspiration for the theme from this film. Um, and by that, I mean... What a better pirate than Nicolas Cage? Because when I think of a pirate ship sailing at full mast, I think of Nicolas Cage's hog. Always at full mast, because he won't act unless he's fully erect. So then we um, soon get to a car chase. Mason is speeding through San Francisco in a Humvee, while there's cop cars and Cage in pursuit. Cage, of course, is, uh, is in a commandeered Ferrari. No doubt a metaphor for his hog. The Humvee crashes into, like, five different cars it could be six it could be up to eight or ten you lose count after a while it's all unnecessary incredibly unnecessary but then again you remember oh yeah michael michael bay is directing this of course this car crashes and explosions um i think michael bay also refuses to work unless he can whack his meat to a few explosions it's an expensive kink but you know we don't kink shame here we do not kink shame even like the camera work it's when it's on the actors' faces in the car, you sort of see him behind the steering wheel. The camera is, um, it's all very hectic. It's all sort of all over the place. They're driving in a straight line. Um, it's like the camera work is just wobbling and up and down. And you have to be reminded constantly that we're in a high-speed car chase. Um, and then a, a tram goes off the rails as well. It like, And I can't stress this enough. The tram nudges it nudges a car and this car explodes a man breathes he explodes i watched this film explosion right um the tram guy he's not happy about his tram baby exploding it's like they throw in just a little a lot of little lines to people just for sort of comedic effect not against that at all but um watch it for tram guy great guy funny guy but um, it's taken about 49 minutes, nearly 50 minutes at this moment, but we finally start getting a little bit of a Cage being angry, but not using expletives, because he's turning the anti-action hero genre on its head. Chem weapons, Isherwood. Marvin, look up Wolfberg Federal Penitentiary. The inmate is Mason John. Hey, Stan, listen, I'm getting out of this government shithole. I'm going over to Orkin to design roach motels. Cool, huh? Look, I just stole a kid's motorcycle. I'm not really feeling too good about it, okay? Wolfberg, got it? Yeah, I got it. All right, McGrain, Masconi, Masters, no Mason. So 
Mason goes to meet his daughter, Jade, but Goodspeed, as you heard there, he stole a boy's motorbike. He's on the case. Um, now, Mason, he just wants to bond with Jade, his daughter. He even says, you know, you're the only evidence that I actually exist. I've been, he's been detained for 20 years, officially, unofficially, between the uh, UK and America. He doesn't actually exist. Now, however, the cops arrive in force. Goodspeed goes to cover for Mason, and he gives Jade the pretense that Mason's actually working with the FBI for a top-secret mission, which, weirdly enough, she's actually very happy to accept. But, if nothing else, this does lead us in to our random cage scream of the week. Thank you for that. You could have handled it differently. What do you say we cut the chit-chat a-hole? You almost got me killed twice, and my jaw hurts like hell. Good. Now that tasty extra little uh, cocksucker treat at the end was the um, FBI general who doesn't have a lot of love lost for Mason and he's very much just using him to complete this mission and he's ready to throw him back in jail as soon as it's done. Now we actually have Michael Bean, Bane, Michael Behan, B-I-E-H-N, how do you... So we have Michael given a second chance to star alongside Cage as a UNS SEAL, Commander Anderson, and credit where credit's due, he's not entirely shit this time around. He's upgraded from the charisma of, what was it, like a wet cabbage last time, to now he's quite an enticing fruit salad. Meanwhile, Goodspeed is given the nature on the mission and throws up. He's, uh, like I said, he's doing hula hoops in his ass, as I said earlier. Um, and he throws up. It's no biggie. I mean, to be honest, the first time I saw some of the maps on season two of Fall Guys, my reaction was very much the same. Um, now, I did touch on it earlier. I mentioned it very briefly, but I feel I should really emphasize at this point that The Rock is another name for Alcatraz. The Rock is Alcatraz, obviously calling the movie The Alcatraz wouldn't be as catchy. It's like if um, instead the famous actor called himself Dwayne the Alcatraz Johnson. He'd probably lose a bit of his appeal. If you smell what the Alcatraz is cooking. No, I don't. I bet it's my gradle mash potato. So choppers take off and deploy Stanley, Mason and the Seals, the Navy, not the animals or the singer, and they infiltrate the rock. Um, Not Dwayne, the island, just to make that really clear. The seals emerge. Uh, Mason wiggles through this little vent that's full of flames to get them into the tunnel system. Then he says, Welcome to the rock. Welcome to the rock. Welcome to the rock. Welcome to the rock. So he, so he said it. He said the name of it. Welcome to the rock. He said the name of the film. Rages. He fucking did it. Yes. Then they get themselves into the shower room. It looks suspiciously like the Gulag in Warzone. Um, but they end up setting off a motion sensor. They're ambushed by Hummel's men. Now Hummel demands that the seals stand down, put the weapons down. Anderson refuses. He's like, look, I agree with you guys. I think a lot of the stuff that the military does is bullshit as well. I agree with you on that. But at the end of the day, we all gave our words that we were going to protect this country from terrorists, international and domestic 
So after a bit of a standoff, this um, a falling brick just shatters behind them. It falls off the wall, triggers a gunfight, but all of Hummel's cries for a ceasefire are drowned out. We get slapped with plenty of bass slow-mo, shaky angles, loud noises to really punctuate that Anderson's men are being slaughtered. Subsequently, only good speed and Mason are left alive. So we learn here from Mason that he was an SAS captain. He stole some uh, secret files and microfilm back in 1962 from J. Edgar Hoover, the former head of the FBI, and he had knowledge of the USA's most closely guarded secrets, but refused to give them up because if he did, he would have been killed, which is basically why he's been kept alive all of this time. And with all this nonsense kicking off, Mason has, for better or worse, decided, fuck this shit, I'm out. Which leads to every man Stanley Goodspeed playing Billy Big Bollocks, and you get this. There are 81 hostages still up there. Yeah, like me. Alright, you wanna play tough? You wanna play tough with me? Okay, FBI, free sucker! I'll fire. No, you won't. Throw down. You're not short. Let's find out. I could, you know. Besides, your safety's on. At good speed. Have you resolved the situation? <sighs> Not yet. He's got all the guns now, sir. So what we've learned is it doesn't matter if you're a coward or an hard man. If any situation befalls you, you look that perp in the eye and you tell him to throw down. Hummel's band of numbers realise there are people still left alive and attempt to flush Mason and Goodspeed out with explosives. Now, bombs do really change a man's perspective on life, and with these, Big Bangs survived. He decides to help, leading us to get a nice little bit of sassy cage, and that's what I'm here for. This is the oldest part of Alcatraz. Did you know it was originally a civil war fort? Oh, really? Huh. Yeah, wow. You know, I like history, too, and maybe when this is all over, you and I can stop by the souvenir shop together. But right now, I just... I just think I want to find some rockets. We get a bit more into the action side of things now. Mason soon throws a knife into a goon's neck. He says he must never hesitate. And he shoots a giant metal box down onto another goon, crushing him, with Mason calling it the most awful thing he has ever seen. Uh, the two then go about disarming some of the rockets filled with the poison chemical bastards. Um, but Goodspeed is slightly put off by a corpse's leg twitching. You've been around a lot of corpses. Is that normal? What, the feet thing? Yeah, the feet thing. Yeah, that happens. I'm having kind of a hard time concentrating. Can you do something about it? Like what? Kill him again? Listen, I'm just a biochemist. Most of the time, I work in a glass jar and lead a very uneventful life. I drive a Volvo with age one. But what I'm dealing with here is one of the most deadly substances the Earth has ever known. So what do you say you cut me some friggin' slack? Sometimes you've just got to let a man get his bearings. Cut him a little bit of a slack. He manages to disarm a few more rockets by removing the guidance chips, that way they can't be fired out into San Francisco, but Hummel's hummus humdingers track them down to the morgue where they're currently based. Stanley and Mason 
end up escaping and end up on a minecart speeding through some underground tunnels like that one cave level in Donkey Kong Country. Cage hot potatoes a grenade. Mason sets Dr. Cox on fire. Stanley shoots and kills a man. He did not hesitate. Neither did my hog. It's always at full mass for the great Satrafar generation. The two split up. Uh, Mason heads straight to Hummel, just so we can buy Goodspeed some more time to find the remaining three rockets. He does, though, uh, Goodspeed, this is, gets ambushed by two of Hummel's men. Subsequently, both Mason and Goodspeed are captured, and they end up locked up, back up in the rock. Mason's put in a cell with a bed, cage, just a dirty floor, no respect whatsoever. Mason's already getting to work, tearing up a bed sheet. He's got a lock attached to the end of it. He's lassoing it, throwing it down the side of the little hallway onto this uh, lever, which opens up all of the doors. It's real fucking cowboy shit. But um, needless to say, while this is going on, good speed. He's a little bit pinged off. The moment they had the microfilm, they'd suicide me. Some solution. Bring it up here. Brings me to another question. I'm broken out. Let me see if I can get this straight. You went down the incinerator chute, on the mine car, through the tunnels to the power plant, under the steam engine. That was really cool, by the way. And into the cistern through the intake pipe. But <clears throat> how, in the name of Zeus's butthole, did you get out of your cell? I only ask because in our current situation, well, it could prove to be useful information. Maybe! Needless to say, um, Mason and Goodspeed soon escape Alki McTrez. Hummel eventually yields to pressure from his inner circle and prepares to launch the chemical weapons. At the same time, the military is already in preparations to um, log down some uh, weapons-grade thermite to counteract all of the chemical weapons they've got and just take out Alcatraz and everyone in it, including the survivors, for you know, necessary collateral damage and casualties. As Mason and Goodspeed head to face Hummel, the first missile is fired at a sports stadium, but Hummel manually diverts the rocket into the water off of the bay. Thus it confirms the suspicion that Mason had earlier in the film that Hummel isn't a killer, he's just a soldier. In reality... Cage's hog beamed out such an aura, such a presence of magnificence, that the rocket had no choice but to change course. Hummel's men then begin to rebel and become insubordinate against Hummel. Hummel explains that he never had any intention of killing people. He just wanted to strong on the military into giving them what they were owed, basically. But Captains Fry and Dara rebel, realising they won't be getting their dollar-dollar bills, y'all. And in the impending shootout, Baxter is shot in slow-mo to death. Hummel is mortally wounded and reveals the location of the final rocket to Team Cage before he eats shit and dies. Now, as we good speed towards the end here, Darrow confronts Stanley Goodspeed at the top of the lighthouse, but is um, quite literally blown away with the greatest combination of trash talk and death by rocket in cinematic history that I'm going to play for you now. So I think we got started off on the wrong foot. Stan Goodspeed, FBI. Uh, let's talk music. Do you like the Elton John song Rocket Man? I don't like soft ass shit. 
Now, when I tell you that I stood up at full mast, applauded this scene, that's no exaggeration. That's no lie. It's one of the greatest things I've ever seen. Uh, so Dara is fucked out of a window by the rocket, plummets to earth, impales himself on a pole. Genuinely incredible. Might be one of the greatest deaths in cinema I have ever seen. Mason and Goodspeed then conveniently just start running into sort of Hara's men one by one. Um, and just happen to find these inventive ways to take them all out, all without a simple weapon being fired. Top hoggers, them both, all the way. Top hoggers, golden standard. Stanley gets into a fight with Fry, and I don't know if this is a conscious everyman thing that Cage decided to do, but I just wanted to point out that every time Stanley throws a punch, he screams. Um, don't let that throw you off, though. Don't worry about it. He does pop a one of the poison balls that he caught earlier into Fry's mouth. So he fucking chokes on the sucker. Um, and just before a military plane can nuke the shit out of Traz, Cage throws up these flares. He injects himself with this, um, I think it's like a counter-agent thing to the poison into the heart. So he's on death's door. He survives though. It's all good. Throws up the flares. Uh, now the majority of the planes see it. They have bought just in time. One had already dropped the bombs, though. Um, so the bomb throws Cage into the water. If you pay very close attention here during the explosion, um, you can actually see the stunt wires of a stuntman. Uh, just a little blooper nugget for you there, but don't worry about it. Cage said he didn't want the stunt wires, but the stuntman's like, no, I've got to, I've got to deal with the wires. But, you know, you're either a hogger or a nubber. Only two people in this life, and, well, we know who that stuntman was. So Mason dives in the water, saves Goodspeed. Uh, they part ways. Goodspeed tells the FBI over the radio that uh, Mason died. He didn't make it. He was eviscerated. There's no body to be seen there. But it allows him to escape imprisonment. Get on with his what's left of his life. Now, before they did part ways as well, Mason reveals to Goodspeed the location of the microfilm he stole back in the 60s. So later on, on his honeymoon with Carla, Goodspeed stops by the church where Mason hid it, steals it back. He has a look at the little film and he says, uh, do you want to know how JFK really died? As the credits roll on the rock. I mean, now, what is he going to do with that information? What good is it in his hands? You don't know. Does it matter? Not really. Do a lot of things that happened in this film really matter? Not really. But it's just, it's a, yeah, great film. Really enjoyed watching it. It's just a great popcorn film to sit down on on at night time and just lose yourself for two hours and just the explosions and the uh, the rapport and the banter between Connery and Cage. Um, they're they're a great team together. They really work together. The chemistry is there. Very compelling. There's a big body count. Actually, a lot bigger than I remembered or um, anticipated. Um, I mean, this, you know, like I said, this is peak 90s action. A lot of the film is dumb. A lot of it is implausible, like, uh, relentlessly so. But Connery just has this raw fucking sex appeal that just somehow 
grounds it a little bit. Um, Cage is great as the slightly OTT everyman. Yeah, he's sort of frantic. Connery's the resourceful old pro. Um, and even though you can argue about a lot of the secondary uh, characters being a little underwritten, again, it's so ridiculous. Um, but it doesn't matter. It does not matter. It's just a really fun, over the top Michael Bay flick. Um, you've got to check it out. I mean, 66% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, I mean, it's not going to engage you on an intelligence level, but it's just a lot of visual thrills, a lot of visceral, uh, energetic thrills. And I think there's a little something for everyone just to switch off with, which I think we need right now. I think The Rock is just a great film for our modern times, a nice little distraction. So, um, But with that said, that looks to bring us to the end of uh, episode 25 of Cage Ranger Nicholas Cage podcast. Hope you enjoyed it again. Uh, love this one. Uh, golden cage from me. The Rock gets a golden cage. Can I smell what The Rock is cooking? I can. It's an absolutely engorged Nicholas Cage hog. We solved it. We cracked it. We answered it. Um, you can find me on various social media. Instagram at Cage Rage Pod. Twitter Cage underscore podcast. Uh, in terms of streaming services, we are on Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher and Podchaser. You can... Uh, find all of the links. We've got a link tree that's on the Twitter page that shows you all the bits and pieces that you need to all these um, nubbinses. And if you've enjoyed it and you want to kick something back and show your support for your boy, go to co- coffee.com, kofi.com forward slash Daryl Edge, D A R R Y L E D G E. You don't have to. Um, just share the words, follow it on the socials and the uh, streaming services. That's nice. That'd be very nice of you. And I'll say, uh, cheers, you. Let's uh, let's compare hogs sometime. Nice. Next week, we move on to a big boy, a Billy Big Bollocks in the history of Cage films. It's one you've been waiting for. It's one I've been waiting for. It's only fucking con air. I'm excited. I know that you are too. Hopefully, we'll see you then. But until then, keep on keep on Cajun. Uh, Bye!